As long as man has existed and lived off the land, the process of scattering and gathering has been a normal part of life. In order to get anything to grow, seeds are sown and scattered. And then those seeds are watered, whether throughout history by by rain directly or as we have designed and implemented different irrigation systems. And and those seeds then are, are nurtured and fertilized and cared for. And eventually, once they grow and are ready, then they're ready for harvest. And they are gathered. And it isn't just in the agricultural world that that process has been taking place of scattering and gathering, but that is exactly how God has been and continues to operate in his church throughout history as well. From the very first command given to our first parents in the Garden of Eden, God commanded them to to scatter. We're already told in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. In other words, scatter across the planet and subdue and and take care of it, spread out and scatter. And then even after the flood, we have the same command reiterated in chapter 9 of Genesis, verse 1. Then God blessed Noah and his sons, saying to them, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth the earth. So God has always given that command to his people to scatter, to fill the earth. That's the beginning of things. But God also promises that at the end of things, everything that has been scattered will actually be gathered. Jesus himself, in speaking about that last day when he returns on Judgment Day, is recorded for us in Mark's Gospel, chapter 13, as saying, He will send His angels and gather His elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heavens. And the Apostle Paul, in teaching and giving some instruction to the believers in in Thessalonica, in the congregation there, he also reflected or he spoke to them, said, Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to Him. So it is clear that as much as God has commanded from the beginning of time to spread out, to scatter, that at the end he will also return to gather that which has been scattered. And we have this morning, as we focus on the day of Pentecost, we have kind of a a smaller sample, so to speak, of the same process of scattering and gathering going on. We have the account of the Tower of Babel in in Genesis that we heard from our readings, and then we have the account of Pentecost. And we see in those events this process of scattering and gathering going about. We also take note, one, that that God, remember as I, I read those verses when he talked about scattering, he attached blessing to them. He said, you are blessed, and then sent them out to fill the earth. So this process of scattering is a sanctified thing. It's something that God has set apart his people to do with the promise that he will come and gather all that has been scattered. And we also see in these accounts of the Tower of Babel and and then Pentecost that this is something that God desires and he is going to carry it out regardless of whether or not man wants to oblige. It is his will to scatter and to gather. And so even as cases as we had in Genesis, 
God is still going to get done that work of scattering and gathering. Focusing on that chapter, Genesis 11, some skeptics of Scripture look at that and they write it off, as they do much of Scripture, as nothing more than an account that seeks to explain where all of the languages in this world come to. They'll, they'll write it off and say, it's not just religions, but other civilizations have their own origin stories, so to speak, of saying, this is how languages came about, and then there's a made-up story and that explains it. Well, that might be true if, if the Bible were just like any other book, which, of course, the more you read it, you realize it's not. But even common sense and reason, if you had read from the beginning of the Bible up to this point, you'd realize this is not the stuff of fable or fabrication. These aren't made-up stories. These are real people who are named, real locations that have been identified in history, real events that are taking place. In Genesis 11, the account of the Tower of Babel flows right into that rather seamlessly. So now as we, we focus on this event, the Tower of Babel, what is really the issue? When you look at, at God getting all worked up about these people building a big tower, what's the big deal? Why does God care? Why does it really matter? Is, is God against building structures? Is, is he against civilization advancing in that way? Is God just salty? that they were disregarding his command to, to spread over and fill the earth and scatter everywhere? Well, at least in part, one of the answers to that very question of why God took issue with this is recorded for us and made clear in Genesis 11. If you look at verse 4, we're told, those who gathered said, Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens, so that we may make a name for ourselves. And there's the issue. So that we may make a name for ourselves. So when you come across that phrase, what is that saying? What does that reflect about where somebody's desires and where their heart is truly at? Well, to make a name for oneself is to make it about me. To focus inwardly. To make a name for oneself is to, to do whatever it takes to be known, to be recognized, to not be a nobody. And really, doesn't that reflect what is an insecurity that we all have? It's one of the greatest fears that we have as, as humans. We don't want to be insignificant. We want to matter. We want to be valued. We want to be known. We want to be recognized. And that desire to be known really is what flows into that insecurity. And you see this all throughout our lives. You see it sometimes in certain relationships that people will have. You might have that friend, or maybe it's, it's you. Any relationship that that friend is in, there is this constant fear that, that either the significant other is, is being unfaithful, is cheating, or is going to leave at any moment. An insecurity that I'm not good enough, that I don't matter to somebody else. Now, sometimes it might be hidden behind a, a bravado. We might puff ourselves up and, and posture, but that too is just another side of the same coin, hiding that insecurity that is terrified by not mattering. It's one of the greatest fears that we have. What if I don't matter? And one of the, the big issues with focusing on that is then what is kind of really an irony 
is that as we are focused on mattering, being significant to others, guess where we are not focused? On the very one who says that we matter to him more than anything. So as we are focused on on achieving and building and accomplishing and making a name for ourselves so that we are significant, what we actually by default are doing is overlooking or ignoring the one who says that we are significant to him, the one who says that we matter to him, and the one who proved it by redeeming us and making us valuable. So as we get caught up in, in all of this desire to be known and to make a name for ourselves, We are shying away from, we are putting on the back burner the one who says, you matter enough to me to give my own son in your place. Can you get any more significant than that? That fear of insignificance is also then what what drives disobedience. Look at the example of of children oftentimes. They, They are disobedient because they are sinners, just like their parents, yes. But oftentimes, that disobedience springs from a desire to be known or recognized or to matter to mom and dad. As the competition with busy schedules and screens, they are vying for any sense of significance or attention. So even disobedience then, at least is negative attention. But attention is attention. They matter if even they're getting scolded or yelled at. See, what happens when we are focused on mattering or being significant to others is that that disobedience then flows into our lives as well. If we are more focused on me, then I'm not naturally as concerned about what God's will is for me. That was also the case with the Tower of Babel. It was not just a matter of making a name for themselves, but, but listen to how blunt, how obstinate the people were at the time as you look at the other half of verse 4. They said, Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. Otherwise, we'll have to do the very thing that God commanded us to do. See how easily we discard God's commands and his design and and his desire, his will for our lives when we put ourselves first and we are so laser-like focused on making sure that we matter? This has always been a little bit of a challenge for the, the church as well. If you study Christian congregations throughout history, there's always a, a same challenge that they have. So typically, churches are started as a, a mission church, maybe an offshoot or a daughter or a plant of another congregation. And at that point, when they are just started as a, a mission, there is a desire to, to scatter. There's a recognition that you need to scatter to go out because If we don't get more people, we're not going to be around very long. So there is a drive to go and and share this gospel news with others so that you would grow as a congregation. But then a a funny thing kind of happens over time. As the Lord blesses those scattering, that that, that, uh, desire to go out to others, and a congregation grows, maybe it's blessed with a little bit of property. And then on that property, a, a building is put up or several buildings And then in those buildings, ministries are carried out primarily to serve the needs of the members and the congregation. And slowly and ever so subtly over time, that that desire to scatter, to go out, to be excited about the mission that Jesus gave his church last Sunday when we observed Ascension, to go out to the world, 
to make sure that, that all knew who he was. And, and the same verse that we had at the end of the reading from Acts, that all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved, that desire, that passion for carrying that out, kind of, it wanes. And it's replaced by an inward focus. And the mission becomes maintaining what we have and looking out for each other first and foremost. And that work of scattering, that's work that others will do. We'll let them take care of it. We'll just focus on, on maintaining and, and, and keeping what we have so that it isn't lost. And so you see the need that, that God has established this pattern of, of scattering and gathering. There's a need for us to routinely gather, just as we did this morning, to confess that lack of desire for going out and, and continuing to reach the lost to carry out and take seriously the, the mission that Christ has given to his church. That is why it is just as essential for us to gather and not only to, to confess that, to acknowledge that sometimes that desire and passion has dried up inside our souls and our hearts, but to also then hear the assurance that you still matter to God and that even that sin, that lack of, of desire, is, it's still forgiven. And with that forgiveness comes the refueling comes the, the hearts that are filled up then and renewed and restored and reassured that we have all that is necessary to go out and to be scattered again. That same scattering that, that God did at, at Babel, it actually happened at Pentecost again as well. Notice that as much as, as God was not going to let the hindrance of different languages or tribes or nations who had been gathered from every nation under the sun, Acts tells us, he wasn't going to let those hinder or serve as an obstacle from him gathering his people together. But then what happens? Those people return back to their nations. Remember, on that day, 3,000 were converted to know Jesus as their Savior. And those people returned back to their homes. They scattered to continue carrying out the purpose, the mission that had been given to the church. And so the church today does the same thing. What happened at the Tower of Babel, what happened at Pentecost, is what happens in the church today. When we gather in God's house on Sunday to be filled up, to be scattered and sent out again, only to gather again and be renewed and restored again and again. And yet, when God comes to us in word and sacrament as we gather in his house on Sunday mornings, that is not the only way that God has limited himself to coming to his people throughout history. In fact, don't, don't lose that little detail from the account of, of Genesis chapter 11 in verse 5. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. The Lord came down to his people and thank God that he did because this is not like other religions where God remains up there and aloof and if you measure up and if you attain and if you are good enough and if you try hard enough, you might be able to get closer to him. No, God recognizes that man is hopeless. We are lost without him and so he comes down to us just as he did at Babel and as you continue reading through Genesis a, ch a couple chapters further, you'll see that God does the same thing to Abraham. He comes down and, and, and is a visitor along with some angels to Abraham. And then you read into Exodus and you see God coming down to Moses from a burning bush calling him to deliver his people out of Egypt. What does that tell us about God but how compassionate, how caring he is about his fallen creation? That he is not going to let, leave us up to our own demise. 
He is not going to leave us self-centered and self-absorbed, making sure that we do and achieve and accomplish so that we matter. He comes down to us to point us to the cross and the empty tomb to assure us that we matter. And he gives us, as he will again this morning, his very body and blood, not just to remember his sacrifice, but to assure us that we matter enough that he can say to us confidently again and again and again, you are forgiven. And it is that which equips us then to carry out the work that he has given to his church. So why was God so concerned about this building of the tower at Babel? We hit on the one point. The one, of course, was, was that it was, it was mankind being so self-absorbed that we don't even know how damaging that is to be so concerned and focused on ourselves. But by default, the other danger there, the greater danger that God recognizes, is that when we are focused on making a name for ourselves, we are not focused on making his name known. Now, is that because God is insecure? Is it because God is jealous and he, he's worried about somebody else getting all the attention? Hardly. It's because God knows that his name is the only one that saves. Again, the last verse of, of Acts. That everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Don't take this lightly. How significant, how serious, how important it is that God is concerned that his name would be scattered to the ends of the earth because his name alone saves. I was just reminded of it again recently in another Bible information class. As often comes up, when somebody hears for the first time this message of law and gospel and hears that, that there's hope for everybody simply by believing in Jesus and, and the assurance of heaven and eternal life are theirs, the natural question is, well, what about the billions of people in the world who have never heard about Jesus. That is exactly why this account matters. It is exactly why it is so imperative that we, the church, scatter to the ends of the earth so that everybody has a chance to hear the name of the Lord, the only name that saves. And it's never going to be God's fault. Because throughout history, there have been times where everybody on the planet has been believers. The only time that people fail to hear about Jesus is when his church fails to make his name known. And as we move forward with this process of, of scattering and gathering, we do it with a complete confidence, not a guilty conscience, but a complete confidence that as forgiven saints who have been set apart for that sanctified work of scattering, we do so because we know that the Lord is looking forward to something. The Lord is looking forward to coming back on that last day to gather all of those souls that have been harvested. And you better believe that he wants as large a harvest as possible. So dear friends, brothers and sisters in Christ, let's take seriously the command that has been given to us, the charge, the work, the duty that has been entrusted to us of scattering and gathering so that through our efforts, the Holy Spirit might continue to do exactly what he did on that first Pentecost, that he might convert souls, that he might save as many possible, and then when Jesus returns on that last day, he will come, God willing, to collect as large a harvest of souls as possible. May God grant it through his grace as he works through his church and the means of grace that he has given to us. Amen.